This is Warning Radio with Dr. Jonathan Hansen, founder and president of World Ministries International, a non-denominational end times ministry dedicated to fulfilling a divine commission to trumpet forth warnings from God concerning the imminent second coming of Christ and the impending judgment of God upon the ungodly. God has sent Dr. Hansen to many nations of the world with a solemn warning to the political and religious leaders and citizenry to repent of their sinfulness and wickedness or face the catastrophic judgments that will soon be unleashed upon the unbelieving world. Listen now to the warnings of our compassionate and merciful Creator conveyed through His faithful prophetic spokesman, the host of Warning Radio, Dr. Jonathan Hansen. Welcome to the program Warning with Dr. Jonathan Hansen, founder and president of World Ministries International and Eagle Saving Nations. Today's message was recorded March 8th, 2008, and Dr. Hansen's associate pastor, Dr. E.J. Buckhart, shared the message, God Knows All. This is the time that Dr. Hansen went to the hospital after waiting on the Lord for a release to go to the hospital when his appendix ruptured three days prior. This message speaks of the sovereignty of God and how His ways are not our ways. Now, let us begin. Basically, The title would be, God Knows All. And in spite of the fact that He knows all about you and I, He is still faithful. (laughs) Great is His faithfulness. Okay, let's go to Psalm 139. Psalm 139, verses 1 through 10. O Lord, Thou hast searched me and known me. Thou knowest my downsitting and mine uprising. Thou understandest my thought afar off. Thou compassed my path and my lying down, and art acquainted with all my ways. For there is not a word in my tongue, but lo, O Lord, thou knowest it altogether. Thou hast beset me behind and before, and laid thine hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high, I cannot attain unto it. Whither shall I go from thy spirit? Whither shall I flee from thy presence? If I ascend up into heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there shall thy hand lead me, and thy right hand shall hold me. Basically, God is everywhere. We cannot escape Him. Even when we tried to go to a private little place and he stopped to think back, and I didn't have this one up there, but I'll read that, Genesis uh, 3, 8 and 9, and you remember that, Adam and Eve, and they heard the voice of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord, God, amongst the trees in the garden. And the Lord called unto Adam and said, Where art thou? And he said, I heard thy voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. I don't believe God had to... It said there that God says, Where are you, Adam and Eve? Well, if we read all of Scripture in in light of Psalm 139, God knew exactly where they were at. But He just wanted them to respond 
to him. I think that's what God says. He knows where we're at. He knows what we're doing all the time. Uh, mom and dad may not know what you're doing. Uh, husbands, the wives may not know what they're doing. But the point I want to make of this message today is the fact that we cannot hide from God. Amen. But God is also faithful in all the stories in the Old Testament and the New Testament where man has been disobedient to the Lord. The Lord has always been faithful in His mercy and grace, even in His judgment. And of course, we can't rely on His mercy and grace all the time because there is coming a time when God will judge. And He will judge you and I. And I always love Pastor Hans's message, the love of judgment, because the judgment He gives us while we're still breathing and living is actually the love of judgment to get us to come back and understand, hey, you know, you might as well not hide it from me. I know what's going on. I know what's going on. And let's take a look at uh, Luke 12, 1 through 5. Luke 12, 1 through 5. In the meantime, when there were gathered together an innumerable multitude of people, insomuch that they trod one upon another, he began to say unto his disciples, first of all, Beware ye of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. For there is nothing covered that shall not be revealed, neither hid that shall not be known. Therefore, whatsoever ye have spoken in the darkness shall be heard in the light, and that which ye have spoken in the ear in closets shall be proclaimed upon the housetops. And I say unto you, my friends, be not afraid of them that kill the body, and after that have no more that they can do. But I will forewarn you, whom you shall fear. Fear him which after he hath killed hath power to cast into hell. Yea, I say unto you, fear him. Okay, now we had the Old Testament showing that God knows where you're at. He knows where you're going. Remember in Psalms 139 where it says, I compass thy path. In other words, what's a compass do? A compass gives you direction, telling you to go in north, south, east, or west, or somewhere in between of the 360 degrees. But, uh, and he knows you're laying down, and he knows when you're all of your ways. And he knows every word that your tongue speaks. And no matter where we go, he says, we go to the high places, he's going to be there. When we go to the low places, he's going to be there. We cannot escape him. And then in Luke, when Jesus himself was speaking, he says that, uh, you know, let there be known, nothing is going to be covered that you can hide. It's all going to be uncovered, it's all going to be revealed. So therefore, basically he's saying, don't be afraid of those who can kill your body, but beware of those that can keep you from going to your eternal destination of heaven. That's the one to fear. So we always hear the message, don't fear man for what man can do to you, but fear what God can do to you. Now, as a pastor or a leader or a minister or someone who cares for other people, you know, I know some of the things about you, okay? The open, the obvious. I mean, it's very simple. I can, we can look at pastor right now, and I know some of the things about pastor. He's in the hospital, okay? These are things, and, he, and, he's, and he's not happy being in the hospital. And there's pain there. I mean, the obvious you know. And there's probably a lot of things I would like to know about you, and I need to know about you, if I want to really help you in your walk with the Lord. But there's a lot I'd rather probably not know, <laughs> okay? And there may even be some things I need not know. But the point of it is, though I or your pastor may not need to know it, God does know it. 
And so who are you going to fear more? The pastor who is leading you or the God who can condemn you? So there's a lot that we, if we want to help each other through our walk in life, okay, we need to know certain things to help you through it. Because if we don't know what your struggles are, and you keep them a secret, it's pretty hard to help you. And Scripture says, share your faults, those things that you have trouble with. Okay, share those faults with your brother, so that brother can help you. And if a Christian brother condemns you for sharing your faults, well, then that's not a Christian brother, and he's going to have to answer the Lord, because the Lord knows what he just said. <laughs> so, you have to know that. Now, I must admit that I do not have all the answers. And I don't think there's any man or woman that has all the answers. But what God is saying, He knows all, so therefore He has all the answers as well. If He knows it all, He also has the answers to help you through your struggles and your time. You know, we, kind of like a car, we need to have a beautiful running machine, especially if you, you're a race car and you want to win the race. There's going to be quite a few people involved in that. The designer of the car has to build a suspension that's very good. You've got to have a mechanic who can tune that engine to a perfect T so that it's always running until the race is completed and then they can tear it down and rebuild it. But during the race, it has to be that way. In a ministry, has to be like a fine-tuned car. Uh, it has to have the support people. It has the people that build the suspension, the people that take care of the tires. It needs a driver. And I kind of look at Pastor as our, he's a driver. I mean, he's the one that drives that machine to the victory line. And he's the one that's going to drive this ministry to the victory line. But at the same time, the driver is not the only one that's going to make bring the victory. And we need to be that type of a unit working together. And if you have a car that's broken down all the time, and some of us do, we have vehicles that are not too reliable sometimes, and uh, it's in needs, and sometimes they're out of commission. And when it's out of commission, what good is it? Now, right now, we have a pastor who's a little bit out of commission, okay? So he cannot do what he's been called to do. And I think the enemy, this is one of his key to do. If you take a godly man or woman, one of the things the enemy will try to do is to keep that person out of commission. And as long as he can keep him out of commission, he's not doing any damage. But once he gets back into a fine running machine, tune machine, he's going to win the race and the enemy is going to lose. So the only way the enemy can keep that out is by trying to prevent that person from being in commission. In human life that we live is very much this way. I believe that most diseases that we have are actually the enemy trying to keep us from doing what we want to do. Because if we got to fight the disease off, we're not going to be too effective out there. But it is so amazing that a true man or woman of God, even when they come down with illness, when they come down with diseases, when they get hurt, they're always there as Grandpa Hansen was, in a, there he is, praying for people. You know, so the enemy couldn't even shut him down, even though he tried, couldn't shut him down. Pastor Hansen, he's been praying for people and working with people in the hospital, even though he's been 
Now, he's the sick one. He's still out there. So the enemy's losing ground no matter how it happens. But if you really are into the Lord, you can be used at any point in your life, whether you're healthy or whether you're sick or ill. If you will allow God to work with you, he will be able to touch the lives of other people. When I see young boys, or we knew a young man, he was probably about nine years old, he was born with some diseases. He was always fighting illnesses. And he died about nine years old, or maybe he's a little older than that. But this boy was such a testimony. Everything he did, he testified of the Lord. There was an elderly man in his 80s that really broke down at the funeral because he says uh, he was, the elderly man was dying. And this little boy, I can't recall his name, came up and laid hands on him and prayed for him. And he was healed. Yet before he died, he came and laid hands on the young boy, but the Lord took him home. But it just shows you that this, this young man, how he was used, even though he only lived to be nine years old, touch life. It was such a beautiful funeral, if you can put it that way. Everybody's testimony how this young boy who, who really was a struggle, he couldn't keep up with the other kids running. He was always slower than them, almost like we listened to the... Almost like this a young boy that was tortured by the Muslims where they stuck the needles to him. He said he couldn't keep up with the other boys. But it didn't slow him down in his testimony. And here I am, 66 years old, and can say, you know, it, it almost humbles me to say, hey, you know, how many years have I lost? And so young people, you can be a tremendous, a tremendous uh, influence on your friends and your older people by just sharing what the Lord has done for you and what the Lord means to you. And that is really what I would like to see in each and every one of us, that we live that kind of a life. That when we do die, the people at our funeral will be rejoicing and saying, you know, what this person, how he lived his life. Uh, they're not going to sit back and hopefully go through all the sins of my life because they would get very depressed if they do that. But, you know, thankful the Lord has said that, you know, when you ask for forgiveness, He is faithful to forgive if you're faithful to forgive others. And I did tell you one thing, I would never want to run for public office because my bass would not be too good. They could dig up a lot of stuff. But at least I could stand before the Lord and speak, and they bring them up and say, it's covered under the blood. And yes, this is what the mercy and the faithfulness of the Lord that I have. And so once again, we don't fear man, but you fear the God. And the God that we serve is one that says, yes, you confess your sins and forgive others, then I will forgive you. Tremendous faithfulness on that part. So that takes us to Psalm 143. And this is, I've entitled, In Thy Faithfulness. Psalm 143. Hear my prayer, O Lord. Give ear unto my supplications. In thy faithfulness answer me, and in thy righteousness. And enter not into judgment with thy servant, for in thy sight shall no man living be justified. For the enemy hath persecuted my soul. He hath smitten my life down to the ground. He hath made me to dwell in darkness, as those that have been long dead. Therefore my spirit overwhelmed within me. My heart within me is desolate. I remember the days of old. I meditate on all thy works. I muse on the works of thy hands. I stretch forth my hands unto thee. My soul thirsteth after thee, 
as a thirsty land. Selah. Hear me speedily, O Lord, my spirit faileth. Hide not thy face from me, lest I be like unto them that go down into the pit. Cause me to hear thy loving kindness in the morning, for in thee do I trust. Cause me to know the way wherein I should walk, for I lift up my soul unto thee. Deliver me, O Lord, from mine enemies. I flee unto thee to hide me. Teach me to do thy will, for thou art my God. Thy spirit is good. Lead me into the land of uprightness. Quicken me, O Lord, for thy name's sake. For thy righteousness' sake, bring my soul out of trouble. And for thy mercy, cut off mine enemies, and destroy all them that afflict my soul. For I am thy servant. Okay, let's go back to verse 1. Hear my prayer, O Lord. Give ear to my supplications. In thy faithfulness, answer me. In thy righteousness. In other words, when you go to the Lord in supplication, we're not going for him based on my righteousness, but we're going to the Lord asking to hear our prayer based on thy righteousness, based upon his righteousness. And enter not into the judgment with thy servant. In other words, Lord, don't judge me for my past. Don't judge me for it. But in thy sight, no man living shall be justified because we realize that in God's sight, we cannot be justified. We may be able to fool our friends and our relatives and maybe even try to fool a pastor sometimes, but you're not going to be fooling God because no man living is justified by that because what was a famous Paul saying, the, live, the just shall be, or the righteous, so how's that go? Uh, justified by faith. You're justified by faith, not by yourself. Then in verse 4, it says, Therefore my spirit is overwhelmed within me, my heart in me is desolate. I think we can all relate to this, where our spirit becomes overwhelmed. We become lonely, we become sick, we can become frustrated, we get to the point to say, I don't know if I even have faith anymore, I don't know where my belief is at, I'm not sure, God, if you're even a creator God anymore. If you haven't been there, praise the Lord. If you've been there, you're just part of the human race. And it's normal. Even David here is saying, you know, my spirit sometimes just totally overwhelms me and my heart is lonely. It's desolate. I feel that, you know, I'm on my own. There's nobody out there to help me. And then verse 5 says, but then he's, David says, I remember the days of old. I meditate upon thy works and I muse upon the work of thy hands. In other words, David says, okay, take your eyes off yourself, David. Because you put your eyes on yourself, David, you're going to have a problem. What you need to get your eyes off yourself, get your eyes upon the Lord. And remember what the Lord has done. If I were to go around this room, I think each one of us could say at least one thing where they could say, look what the Lord has done in my past and brought me through that particular time. Every one of us can do it, and uh, we could probably be here for the rest of the afternoon once it gets started. If you would be willing to open up, we could see all that. And this is why I think in the scriptures, we always said, the Lord has said, remember when I brought you out of Egypt. Remember what I have done. You look back on the miracles, and we've all seen miracles in this ministry. If everybody been on a mission trip or even here locally, we've seen where miracles have happened. And so what do we do with that miracle? We put it, well, that was just 
that person got the miracle. It didn't touch me, it touched someone else. But that's not the point of the miracle. The miracle is to bring back, to look back unto what God has done. And sometimes in life, you're gonna to have to look back because there are times coming and you will have, where well, you're gonna have that down out syndrome. And so when you get there, look back at what God has done and let that spirit lift you up. So verse five, base I put down, remember what God has done. In verse six, he says, I stretch forth my hands unto thee, and I thirst after thee. In other words, you stretch out your hands to the Lord. Uh, think of, you know, look at a little boy running up to, you know, held out his hands, grandpa, grandpa, you know. And uh, so that's, that's, what it, that's what it is, sticking out your hands, you know, for that person you want. For those who have not had a good relationship with father or with a grandpa. I'm sure there's a something somewhere along there, a friend along the way where you can hold out your hands and, and you can kind of see that. Where someone who, who really, that you know truly loves you, they can reach out to you. And uh, that's those hands that reach out. And then verse seven, hear me speedily, O Lord, my spirit fail. Hide not thy face from me, lest I be like them to go down to the pit. There's nothing wrong with coming before God and says, God, I need a healing, or I need an answer, and I need it now. If David can answer the Lord, I need it fast, I need it now. <laughs> I mean, I'm not saying I want it now for my own personal benefit, but you know, there's nothing wrong to say, Lord, I really need your touch, and I need it now. I'm not, don't need it when I get to be 68 years old. I don't need it when I get 80. I'm 30 years old, or as my son says, he's 25. He needs it now. 24. He doesn't need it when he gets to be 40, okay? So there's, there's nothing wrong, folks, with praying, Lord, please, I need an answer, and I need it speedily. Now, will the Lord answer it speedily? I cannot answer that question because the Lord knows better than I do. There may be a reason why he's not going to answer it, but he did hear your prayer. Be assured that he heard your prayer and that he will answer it, but we can still pray, Lord, I would like to have the answer as fast as possible. Now, let me step up from experience. Once the Lord answers your prayer, and he does answer it speedily, don't fall back in your own ways because the next time you try to ask that, Lloyd said, well, I answered you fast the last time and you blew it. It really didn't take hold in your life. You went back and we did similar things. And so therefore, why should I answer you so fast? Why should I heal you again when you went out and continued to eat the foods that I told you not to eat and now you're sick and your stomach's upset again? Ding! Okay? Sometimes we've got to understand that, that if we go against what the Lord says, why should He set there and heal you so that you go back and do what He says not to do it again? So, I mean, each of us has our different periods in life where, some, where we've done things. And remember what Jesus said to the lady, go and sin no more. That was it. It's over with, it's done, you're forgiven, but don't go and do it again. And where else in scripture it says, you know, if you open yourself up, the enemy will come back and you'll be seven times worse. God is faithful. 
So let's not push the limits. Now, I know a lot of daredevils that want to push the limit. You know, and nowadays, when you look at some of these sports, you know, I see these guys in these motocross and some of these kids on skateboards, I mean, they're pushing the limit, you know. And uh, many of them get hurt when they push the limit. So when you come to your Christian walk in life, beware, if you keep pushing the limit, there's going to come a time where God's going to pull his hands off and say, you're on your own, and you're going to fall flat in your face. I mean, you'd rather have those hands out there to protect you. But if you want those hands to protect you, that's kind of a condition that you kind of do it the way God wants you to do it. And we could give all kinds of examples in life that well, that will be a very powerful statement. Verse 8. Then it says, Cause me to hear thy loving kindness in the morning, for in thee do I trust. Cause me to know thy way wherein I should walk, for I lift up my soul unto you. Hear me because, why is David asking God to answer him speedily? Because of God's loving kindness. And he says, and because of your loving kindness in you, Lord, will I trust. Now, God may answer you in a different way than you wanted. Are you going to be able to trust God when he answers you in a different way because he knows what's best for you? I would tend to say in the dating game, which we do not promote in this ministry, many young people date because this is the one they want. Poor God got pushed out of this formula. But this is the one I want. And God says, uh-uh. So when God brings something up in the life and splits the two of you up, do you get angry at God? Or do you say, well, thank you, God, because I really didn't come to you in the first place to ask for guidance and direction in this area. Or God may put back and say, okay, if that's the way you want it, I'll let you go through it, but I'll tell you what, you're going to come back to me sooner or later and say, Lord, why didn't I ask you to start with because now look all the trouble I'm in. So in other words, if you want to have the blessings in this life, and we're not talking necessarily salvation issue here, we're talking about blessings and cursing in this life. I would like to see myself blessed, my wife blessed, my children blessed, every one of you blessed. I don't want to see you cursed in this life. So most of you I know in here have accepted the Lord. And I have no doubt that you're going to be in heaven with the Lord. But there's some of us here that are not going to have the blessings of life. We're going to have some of the cursings of life. Do we understand where the blessings and cursings come from? Do we truly understand where the blessings and the cursings come from? And it comes from disobedient to the word. Now, I've met with people who say, I don't want to know the truth. And they're very serious about that. Because what happens? if you don't know the truth, you don't have to have a guilty conscience. You can continue doing what you want. But once you know the truth, you've got to make a decision either to follow the truth or to turn your back on the truth. In the last class, remember when the professor says they turned and worshiped the sun god and turned the back on God. Not a very smart thing to do. Don't turn your back on the Lord and worship something that he told you not to worship. In our day and age, I think a lot of us, and I must admit, I was probably guilty of this, and my son could probably back it up a little bit, that I really, I thoroughly enjoyed my job as being an airline pilot. And sometimes I used, you know, the airlines became more important than my family. 
So, I mean, I've been guilty of that. And a lot of people in our day and age, yes, we need to make money, we need to provide for our family, but sometime in the way corporations are today, when they hire you, you are a resource to that company and they expect you to be totally, totally theirs. And so we have to watch that. Many times I've known, I've read stories about people who had fantastic jobs, but they finally said, no, my family is important. I've been working, you know, all my life. In, in Japan, it's kind of interesting. I'm not knocking Japan in this way, but over there, many years ago when I was there, they said, if you talk to the wife of it, well, he works for the company. It was the company. Anything for the company came first. The family came second. So they lived, but once a year, many of the men, we got one month off, full pay, full vacation. They'd jump on an airplane with their family and they'd fly to Hawaii or fly to Guam. They got that one month off. But other than that month, I mean, they put in long, long hours. And I see it here in America too. Many men bring their jobs home with them. Their job doesn't stop. It's not an eight hour day, it's a full job. So. One, as a Christian, we have to start looking and weighing the balance of this. Because all of that success that we have is not going to do anything for us in heaven. And we're not going to take it with us. I remember the joke cartoon you seen when I said the guy can't take it with us. But uh, what happened was, the story was this man died and he had this big long procession. And this armored truck was sitting there and he looked at this big long procession. He said, man alive, I'll never get to my bank on time. I'll run behind. So he just jumped in line. So he was about four cars behind the hearse and he's driving his, his deal and the people behind it says, and they said Uncle Joe couldn't take it with them. <laughs> get it? The armored, armored truck is what carries all the money. Okay, children, do you get it? So in other words, this funeral procession, you know, is going to the gravesite, and here comes this armored truck, and he gets in behind with all the money, and so he's going to the gravesite with him, and they said, but they said, look, and they said he couldn't take it with him. Okay, I'll explain it later. But <laughs> anyway, sorry about that one. Anyway, you know, I can sit back at my style of life because I'm in a position that's very, very nice, but you know. Once again, I think if I look back onto it all, can I really say that I really worked with my family the way I should have worked with my family during those years? And no, no, and then when you get older, the kids grow up and they've got their own life to live. You know, so then you try to pour your heart, yourself out with your grandkids to make up for what you didn't do with your children. I, I think that's probably good. I think God knew in a way that, you know, okay, men, you who failed with your children, I took care of your children. I saw to it that they were, their needs were met, you know, in their love. But now he says, at least you can pour something into your grandchildren that you could not do for your, for your children. And I think uh, as grandparents, sometimes you see grandpa really pour into their grandchildren. And I think sometimes it, it's, a, it's kind of one of those little guilt say, you know, I got to do something. I didn't do it much with my kids, so I'm going to pour it into my grandkids <laughs> and uh, do that. So, but I don't think that's wrong. I'm not saying that's bad. Okay, then bound in verse 10. Teach me to do thy will, for thou art my God. Thy spirit is good. Lead me into the land of uprightness. Quicken me, O Lord, for thy name's sake and for thy righteousness' sake. Bring me my soul 
out of trouble. In other words, he's looking to God. God, you are good. You are righteous. And so I'm calling upon you for your righteousness and for your name's sake to bring my soul out of the trouble. It's all based on God is faithful. And it's his righteousness and his faithfulness. And out of your mercy, Lord, cut off my enemies because they're all around me trying to take away my soul. I am your servant. And so to receive the mercy of God, basically we become his servant. Servanthood is not something that's taught in our society. We are to be the leaders, not the servant. Jesus was taught to be the servant, but yet he was the king. He was the king, even though he was the servant. So we need to be a servant to the Lord. And then the Lord can lift you up into positions of Daniel and Joseph and be tremendous leaders in the nations because they were the servant of the Lord. Okay, questions. Do we understand the phrase, God knows all things about you and me? Do we truly understand that God knows all. Do we understand that is God's faithfulness that gives us joy in life and gives us the victory in life? It is not our, but it's His. Okay, let's read 1 John 2.12. 1 John 2.12 I write unto you, little children, because your sins are forgiven you for His name's sake. Okay. Why are your sins forgiven? Is it something you did? But it's for His sake. Yes, your sins are forgiven not because of you, but because of what God has done. What gives us forgiveness of sins? The blood of Jesus Christ shed on the cross gives us forgiveness. So it was for His sake that we have forgiveness. He died on the cross for our sake, but it's His sake that gives us the forgiveness. Okay, Isaiah 64, 6 and 8. Isaiah 64, verses 6 and 8. But we are all as an unclean thing, and all our righteousness are as filthy rags. And we all do fade as a leaf, and our iniquities, like the wind, have taken us away. But now, O Lord, Thou art our Father. We are the clay, and Thou art our potter, and we are all the work of Thy hand. Okay, but we are all like an unclean thing, and all of our righteousness are as filthy rags. Now, do you believe that? Do you believe that your righteousness, the good deeds that you do, the good acts that you do, that we do all the time, the obedience we have to mom and dad and to our pastor, do you believe all those righteousness are filthy rags? God says in His sight it's like filthy rags. Do you read how righteous God's righteousness is? It's perfect. So that's why our righteousness won't get us into the good graces of our Father. It's His righteousness. So it's not what we do, but it's His righteousness. And when we look at His righteousness, we say, Father, I want to be like You. Therefore, give me the strength and ability to be like You so that I can have Your righteousness. So allow your righteousness to be the guide for my life, not what I think is right. 
in most religions in the world is good works. In other words, you're going to earn your way to the righteousness of God. And God is saying, nah, that's just all filthy rags. Now, he's not saying there's anything wrong with righteousness. He just says our righteousness in his sight is as filthy rags. It's not the easiest thing to understand. Like Jeannie says, that's why the Lord puts these things in there. To us, it doesn't make sense, but why? If it's in the Scripture and we believe the Scripture, it's there for a reason. You know, I'm stopping to think, if the glory of God walked right in this room right now, you know, people say, oh, I'm looking forward to meeting Jesus. I go up and give him a great big hug and give it, I, 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 I say, as long as we're still living in this unsanctified body, if the presence of God came into here, I think we would be on our face and we wouldn't be up there and say, oh, I, Jesus, oh, glad to know you. No, I've done you so well. And Jesus, you're filthiness, you're rags, you're like filthy rags. No, that, and even in the Old Testament, God says, take your shoes off, you're walking on holy grounds. And he says, you can't even see the face of God because if it did, you'd die. Well, what is the wages of sin is death. Why would you see if you see the face of God, you'd die? Because you don't have your sins covered. So the only answer we have when we face the Lord, as I see it, is, Lord, thank you for your blood. Thank you for your blood. Thank you for your forgiveness. I don't deserve it, but thank you, Lord. And any other thing, you're going to have to, before a judge, just going to say, oh, you think you did right. Hmm? Well, let's start looking. Let me, angels, come here. Let's, let's start putting the witnesses here. What did he do here? They're here. They're here. They're here. Okay, Lord, I give up. I surrender. <laughs> you know, but we can do that now. We can do that here and now and have that type of surrender and say, Lord, you know, forgive me. I need you. I know I'm not pure in your sight. But yet at the same time, Lord, I want to have more of you. I want to have more of you in my life. Why do we sing the song, I want to have more of you in my life? Why do you sing it? Because Karen picked it out and you had to sing it? That's probably the best answer you have. <laughs> but we're trying to teach you how to worship. And some of these songs have a lot to say. It says, I need more of you. Because what happens if you have more of Jesus then what happens to your life? You're more capable to come into His presence. Because once you become like Him, then you can enter into His presence. And we can do that for one basic reason. We are created in the image of God. We believe that. It's the first thing you read about in the Old Testament. We are created in the image of God. And if we are created in the image of God, we have the ability through His Son to be the image of God, to be there. So we can. So the, the more I need of Jesus, I want more and more of Jesus in my life. And so when people look at you, they can say, man, I see Jesus in you. Wouldn't that be a great thing to have someone say that? And I've heard people say that to very, very uh, dedicated men and women of God who have served the Lord faithfully all their lives. And they look at him and they say, it's almost like walking into the presence of the Lord because they've almost achieved in this life because they've spent so much time with the Lord they see the Lord in them and that's a that's a beautiful thing to see and it's all because of his mercy and because of his spirit not by power not by might but by my spirit says the Lord it is he who gives us victory in all of the struggles of a life if we had a lot of time I would like to go around and ask each one of you what is your struggle today 
Well, then you go and say, oh, Lord, that's fine. Because if we can be honest with each and every one of us what our struggle is today, it's a lot easier for us to go to God and say what our struggle is. But it also makes it a point that if I can share my struggles with my brother or my sister in the Lord, don't throw, maybe this is taken out of context, but don't throw pearls before swine. In other words, you don't want to share your troubles in your inner being with those that don't know the Lord that you do not. Do not do that. Because if you don't know who that person is, and they can be very destructive to you. So you got to be very careful with that. Don't. And so, in other words, when I say sharing your struggles, it says in Scripture, share your faults with one another. And then also the fact is, is that when you share your burdens with one another, when you do that, because your burden will probably have something to do with another person as well, a relationship, then what are they going to think about that other person? Because they don't know the situation. So it gets one of the, it's, it's a very, very, touchy thing but at the same time I do believe it is it is something that we need to share least with someone else we're not lonely people here but we need to share with someone you can trust some of your burdens and I, usually it's you know I say it's a it's a man to a man and a woman to a woman you know share your burdens not have someone that you can do it with and if you can't find someone to share your burdens with I think you'll have a lot more trouble in life. I believe that. But like I say, it's important that you can have someone that you can share. And I know when I was serving as a student pastor, and I still believe this to this day, that I, at that time, could listen to anybody's problems and not let it have a condemning spirit over them. But I also knew at the same time, as that pastor, I would not share some of my struggles than anybody else <laughs> okay because I still to this day I mean I trust myself as someone to share with me I can trust myself I don't have a problem but to share my specific burdens with someone else I have a major problem and Jeannie you know has a good there that we we definitely need to share them with the Lord and once those burdens are taken care of you may be able to share them then openly with someone else but you need to happen that but so I'm sure that some of you are sitting here and say that you would be willing to you you could hear someone else's burden you wouldn't be condemning of them you would be helpful to them and all this and that but then would you turn around and share with that person because we don't want to share sometimes we carry burdens that we don't need to carry but once again you know like Jeannie says be you got to be very careful who you share your burdens with but not to the point that you don't share your burdens so in other words this is a prayerful thing you know Lord who can I trust you know that I can share with that'll put their arms around me and said we're gonna see you through this now just to give you about friendship I was born and raised and they say hi back and everybody's your friend okay oh yeah he's my friend yeah she's my friend and then I went to New York and if you walk down the street and say hi to everybody, you probably will not get hardly a person to turn around and say hi to you. They're just kind of looking at you, who, who are you, you know. But if you develop a friend, and I, this is from a pastor friend of mine that develops some real close friendships with people in New York, that or these type of people, I mean, they go do their own thing. But these friends became true friends. Back in Minnesota, if I went out and ended up filing, ended up in jail for some event or something like that, they say, ah, I don't want anything to do with EJ. 
You know, he's bad company. New York, the guys would kind of look at him and say, you dumb EJ, well, you did such a stupid thing, but okay, we'll, I'll see you through it. You're my buddy. We'll stick through this. Come, you know, come ba 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 ba. We'll be together with it, and they'll stick with you. Now, that's a friend. So sometimes, outwardly, you know, people who seem to be friendly, and this is why we see sometimes people turn on you, they really weren't your friend. They were just a acquaintance who maybe could use you or something like that, but they weren't your true friend because when times got tough, they weren't there to help you through. And this is why the neatness of a, of a family has to be real close because a family has that close-knit friendship that it's pretty hard to break because your son, your daughter, your husband, your wife, and so therefore, you can't get rid of your dad's your dad and your mom's your mom. I mean they're going to be a mom and your dad no matter what happens. I mean, biologically, you can't change that. That's an unknown fact. So there's a tie there that mothers especially can see their children through some horrible times that they do, and the mother still loves them. I mean, here they are sitting behind bars, you know, for whatever it is, and they cry, but they still love their son. They still love their daughter. That's a very, very close relationship. So you want to get friends that you can trust. And so young people... You know, some people may come up to you because they will just want to use you for something, and so they'll be your nice friend out in front. And then at the last second, they may come up and say, hey, uh, could I borrow five bucks? I mean, they're very clever about how they do it. And once you give them the five bucks, they're gone until they need the five bucks again, then they'll come back. So is that being a real true friend or not? So we have to be careful. I don't say now you don't go out and so you don't trust anybody out there. And that's easy to come to that attitude is I don't trust anybody out there anymore. So the key I've learned on, at least on the giving of money is that you don't give money to somebody unless the Holy Spirit says do it. Because then you don't have a problem. Because then you give it, if you don't get it back, it's oh no big deal. And they got a responsible, but if the Lord says do it, you'll normally find out that it was good, and I can give four or five experiences in my life where I've done that, and years later, someone has come back and said, you remember me? I said, no. He said, remember when I was at the altar or something like that, you did this? Said, oh, yeah. Well, that got my husband and wife through a very difficult time. I just wanted to say thank you. And, but there were some struggles I had. Do I do this? Do I do it not? And I've told some of those stories. So, in other words, before we do things out of human love, Sometimes ask the Lord for guidance so that it's a spiritual love. It's a spiritual love. And there's, there's probably a fine wire. It's probably a fine wire between the two. And yeah, we live in this, in this life. We're, we're, sometimes we're going to make the wrong decisions. But if you get so hard and calloused, you don't want to do anything for anybody. You know, you know then, then it's, it's not worthy of it. You know, if it gets to that point, well, you don't. But... So when it comes to the giving of yourself, you know, you give not to get something back, okay? You give, if you're going to give it, don't give it to expect it to come back to you. If it comes back to you, bless the Lord. And then take that same blessing and reuse it again. But, you know, don't give of your time, your energy, your finances, unless you give knowing that it may never come back. If you meet a brother in need, you know, if you give to him, don't expect a brother to pay it back. Even though he may say, I'll promise to pay it back. Don't give it with the promise to pay it back. You give it because out of your heart, you want to help. 
someone and you'll never never get the guilty feeling or the hatred feeling for your brother so whenever you want to give you're going to give love you're going to give a hug you're going to give it don't expect it to come back you give it out of the graciousness of your heart jesus died on the cross and shed his blood for you and i not to get it back but because he wanted us to have an abundant life that is unconditional love the other question i would ask after we deal with the struggles in life where do you need victory where about in your life do you feel you're losing the battle and i want to have victory that would be the next question and that the question i've got where do you look for victory and that should be first john 5 1 through 5 is that the next one up on the board let's read first john 5 1 through 5 where do i look for victory First John 5, 1-5 Whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and every one that loveth him that begat loveth him also that is begotten of him. By this we know that we love the children of God, when we love God and keep his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not grievous. For whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world, and this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. Who is he that overcometh the world, but he that believeth that Jesus is the Son of God? Okay, who do we look to for the victory? God. What does it say? Who is the one that gives us the victory? If I looked that right. Who is he that overcometh the world, but he that believeth that Jesus is the Son of God? And this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not grievous. And right before that says, by this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep his commandments. Now I'm gonna, as we close here, there's two things of being a servant of the Lord. There's two things that we require to do. We are to keep the commandments and the testimony of God. Look up Isaiah 8, 16 and 20. Isaiah 8. Verses 16 and 20. Bind up the testimony, seal the law among my disciples. To the law and to the testimony. If they speak not according to this word, it is because there is no light in them. Okay, what I'm getting at here, we're going to go to Revelation 14, 12, too. It shows two things. Bind up the testimony and seal the law among my disciples to the law and to the testimony. So we see in the Old Testament, we'll see two references. It refers to the law and to the testimony. Now go to Revelation 14, 12. Revelation 14, 12. Here is the patient of the saints. Here are they that keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. Okay, once again now, in the New Testament, the same thing comes back. So they that keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. Now, when Jesus was alive and walking this earth, what scriptures did he have available to him? Did he have the New Testament available? No, he had the Old Testament, right? So he says, when he's talking about keeping the commandments, what commandments was he talking about? Okay, he's talking about the Torah, the teachings of the Lord. And then when it says about and the faith of Jesus, the testimony of Jesus, you've got two things. We've got keeping the law and keeping the testimony of Jesus. It's both of them. It's not one or the other. 
So those that want to throw the commandments out have got a problem when it comes to Isaiah and Revelation saying, no, it's both the commandments and the testimony of Jesus. But that was also in the Old Testament it said you've got to keep the commandments and the testimony of God. We believe that God and Jesus and Spirit are all part of the Godhead, so therefore it's the same. So we cannot separate the two. So in other words, if you want to be victorious and want to have the blessings in this life and not the cursings in this life, you must keep the Torah, keep the teachings of the law, and the testimony and the witness of Jesus Christ, who is the fulfillment of the law. So that's where the victory comes. So you want to go through and read the Ten Commandments? And what do they say? They don't want the Ten Commandments in schools now because the kids may read them and believe them and follow them. You know, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt honor thy father and thy mother, which means you should honor your teachers. <laughs> From the teachers I've talked to, remember we listened to the interview with, uh, matter of fact, someone so bad the teacher comes in, puts you side of the board and leaves the room. So in other words, if we were to put the commandments before the students and before our legislators and before our government, they may read them and try to obey them and we would have a problem getting our agenda through because they would put through God's agenda and we don't want God's agenda in our civil society. So in other words, but we need to look at two things. We need to look at the commandments and we need to obey them because once you look at the commandments, if you take any one of the commandments, you will probably understand that my righteousness are as filthy rags because we do not keep the commandments. It's just something that we just don't do no matter how hard we try, it doesn't work. But then we also have the testimony of Jesus and that's his whole life. That's the shedding of the blood that covers us. So we have the remissions of sins and we can have the blessings in this life. And I want every one of us in here to be blessed. I don't want to be, I mean, I told pastors, probably needed not as nice a thing to say, but it was my heart. I said, I'm glad it's you there, not me. I mean, as a servant, I should probably be there until you go out. I'll, I'll, Lord, let me get in bed. I'll go through pain. He can go out and go to work. That's probably what should have been my spirit, okay? So forgive me if I'm wrong, but. <laughs> EJ opens up his mouth and inserts both feet many times. But, the, but, but what it was, I told pastors, all I can say is, Pastor, I got to be honest with you, I, I'm glad it's you and not me. In other words, one of my prayers is, and it was my parents' prayer, is, Lord, don't allow me to have to be sick, to be in a hospital, to be in a nursing home. Let me be able to either die in my own bed or at least to be healthy until I die as best you can as you get older. But that's one of my prayers is that I do not have to spend time in hospitals. I do not have to have diseases. I can be free of them. And I, it's an honest prayer, and there's nothing wrong with it. And I believe that if I do get it, it's going to be the enemy trying to take me out. Yeah. Okay? And so it doesn't mean I won't get sick in that, but, you know, you can still pray, Lord. I mean, ask. Lord says ask, you know. And so I continue to ask that. And, you know, same for my family, same for my children, my grandchildren. I pray that they don't have to go through all this, this pain of this life, that we can have the blessings, but there's some conditions involved in that. Uh, but still you can pray that way. Those prayers, I think, are faithful prayers because I don't want, you know, I like to see everybody blessed. I think the Lord wants us to be blessed. He doesn't want us to go be around and, and in misery and sickness and all that. Uh, there's parts in scriptures, I think, where we see where he, you know, 
the children, he said, when they wandered through the wilderness, even though he was punishing them for their unfaithfulness and for worshiping other idol gods, their clothes didn't wear out. They did die, but it doesn't ever show about it. They were really sick. They just died. And we're not allowed to go into the promised land. But, you know, so God did take care of us and will take care of us in spite of us sometimes. That's why he is faithful. And we really need to appreciate God's faithfulness. I don't know how else to say it. Uh, you'll have to experience it. But God is faithful. And even when we have to cry and even when we're hurting, that's part of this life. And God will see us through our tears. He'll see us through our joys. He'll see us through our loneliness. But I, again, I say, you know, don't go into the closet by yourself when you're struggling. Hopefully, you can share with a friend. And if you don't have a friend, you can share it with the Lord. And then hopefully the Lord will give you a friend that you can share with. Maybe that's the best way to go about it. Share it with the Lord and ask the Lord, you know, give me a friend, someone I can, you know, can come with me and we can, we can walk through this together. And I think one reason there's husbands and wives is sometimes so that they can walk together through things. Uh, they can be strength. I mean, I've watched Jeannie. She's been a strength to pastor at this time. There's other times a pastor's a strength to Jeannie. There's a time Karen's been strength to me and I've been strength to her. I think that's probably one of the things, you know, good things about marriage is that you can have that real close commitment that should not be broken, a commitment that's there. And with a real solid commitment, come the times and troubles, you'll work through it together and be able to share the blessings at the end. And once again, I appreciate this prayer and I want you to continue to remember it. Pray to be filled with the perfect love of God, so complete that fear is cast from Him, and to live in such belief that unbelief is no longer a hindrance. Karen brought it to me and she said, you know, this is a fantastic prayer. And I look at it and the more I see it, the more I just say, it says, Lord, let that be my prayer, that I can be filled with the perfect love of God, so complete that fear is cast out. And to live in such a belief that unbelief is no longer a hindrance. And I tell you what, if we have that perfect love of God, the best that we can do it in our life here today, we would not have fear. I have no doubt about it. And if we would live in such belief that unbelief is no longer hindrance, there is nothing that could keep us from being one of God's most beloved servant in these times that we're facing. Now, I suppose a good pastor would give a sermon on what's perfect love. I think you probably have in your own mind what perfect love could be. We know it's an unconditional love. And I guess if you want to look at perfect love, you have to look at Jesus, who himself never sinned, but yet died on a cross, the most humiliating death you can have, but died on a cross and shed his blood so that we can have eternal life. Totally unconditional love. And now he is sitting at the right hand of his Father, interceding for you and I, in spite of you and I, so that the justice of a perfect God will not come down like a thunderbolt and hit us. So remember, you have an intercessor to the God of perfect love through a man who knew what perfect love was for you and I. That's your intercessor. That's our intercessor. So go to him.
Spend time with them. Ask them what your needs are. And be confident that he will hear and he will answer. But remember, he answers in his way, not your way, because he knows what's best. But there's going to be tears in this life. Jesus wept over Jerusalem. So let's, I'm not saying you're going to have a perfect life. You're going to get sick. You're going to hurt. You're going to cry. You're going to lose loved ones. They're going to die. I remember I was in class the other day. The guy says Daniel was 80 years old, and his body was kind of falling apart. And I said, you know, I'm only 14 years away from that. I'm not going to live forever. Right now, I think I can live forever. I mean, I was climbing up in trees, and I'm not going to die. You know, you, you do that, and young kids live this way. And I'm, I'm no different, you know. And Karen and I are slowing down, you know, and sometimes we get a little bit more aches and pains, and we say, why, you know? Why, Lord? I mean, why are we? But the Lord says you can only live to be a maximum 120 anyway, and 70 plus 10 is 80. So you have to say, okay, Lord, <laughs> let me make the best use of my last years I've got anyway, and try to keep me healthy, Lord. And all of a sudden, you know, you, you read an accident where, you know, a person's life is snuffed out, and it's a very, very good person. I mean, you know, a man of God, a woman of God, and you just say, why? Well, we don't have the answers to that. But it does tell us that we never know what tomorrow is going to bring. And if that is a true case, we need to live this day to the best of our ability for the Lord. Because we will not live forever, and we don't know what the next day is going to bring. But we do know, as long as we have life and breath, we can do what we can do to the best of our ability that God's given us to do it. And not to complain, but to say, Lord, use me to the best that you can do. And I'll give you all the days you give me, I will give to you. And I surrender my life to you for that purpose. So if we can do that, we've accomplished something very valuable. Okay, we get to look forward to Pastor coming home today. So that's good news. That's good news. We do not pray disease or illness unto anybody at any time. And the Lord has told us that we have the power to bring those prayers before Him, to lay hands on them, to pray for them, and for the healing to take place. So what the Lord says, I have an out for you people. I'm not saying you're not going to get sick. You're not going to have problems, but I do have an out for you. And so we need to use those. We need to use the gifts that he's given us. Thanks for listening to this episode of Warning Radio with Dr. Jonathan Hansen, founder and president of World Ministries International. Warning Radio is a listener-supported program. We need your donations in order to continue airing these Christ-centered prophetic programs. Send your checks or money orders to World Ministries International, Post Office Box 277, Stanwood, Washington, 98292. To donate securely by phone, call 360-629-5248. Visit our website to find other ways of giving and a wealth of information about World Ministries International and host Dr. Jonathan Hansen. The website is worldministries.org. 
There, you'll also have access to hundreds of previously aired radio programs, made-for-television videos, thousands of articles, Dr. Hansen's books, and travel itinerary. Again, the website is worldministries.org. The phone number is 360-629-5248. Remember, the Lord is not slow about the promise of His return, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish, but for everyone to come to the repentance that leads to eternal life.